Welcome to the thin air of Denver, where we're doing Connect This. Team and I are in Mountain Connect, and uh, it works better at nine or 10,000 feet rather than seven, I guess. Um, but uh, we're in Denver, and uh, we're going to have a really fun show. We started live on time, but then realized that we didn't start live. So we're back, and um, those two minutes will be lost to history. So sorry about that. We're back, we're back and we're better. Yes, super better. <laughs> Today we are, uh, so Kim and I are both in Denver for Mountain Connect, which is, uh, I think, uh, possibly the best broadband show uh, in the nation uh, this year and uh, uh, for like um, interesting content and stuff like that. We'll see. Um, but uh, we are going to talk about a variety of FCC topics. Um, and <laughs> we are uh, going to start off um, with a couple of FCC things. We're going to finish up with the big one, which is uh, Chair Rosenborsel hinting that they are finally going to increase the uh, definition of broadband. And maybe half the conversation will be about whether we should be nice to the FCC now or not. Um, we are having Dr. Robert Wack, who was the city council president of Westminster, Maryland, when they decided to build a municipal network. We talked about them previously. And when we were talking about them, I said they were a remarkable success. There was a news, there was an article in Broadband Communities Magazine, which actually talked about what has happened over the years since they did it. And Travis was all like, they weren't successful. They had to raise taxes, which I countered was not accurate. And, um, and anyway, we decided that we wanted to talk more about it. And so we brought on an expert in it. Uh, also, Kim says that Dr. Robert Wack is, uh, is one of her favorite people. So, uh, you know, we'll get to talk about that, I guess, maybe. Um, uh, we're going to start <laughs> Kim and I are both <laughs> in the same hotel in different rooms. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure you are. Sure you are. <laughs> I'm in a suite, um, Chris. So I don't know if are you in a suite too or no. No, I am. I am in the room that they give you when you show up super late and they forgot that they were supposed to house you. And even though you've had a miserable time of travel and you've showed up at about ten o'clock at night, uh, they are still cleaning your room somehow. That they just gave you. <laughs> and the two lovely women who speak only Spanish uh, were very confused what you were trying to tell them as you just wanted to put your bags down and then go see if anyone was left at the bar. So I, a I wonderful suspect, introduction to Mountain Connect for me. I suspect they had been renting your room out by the hour, just thinking there. <laughs> <laughs> and you get a suite when you show up too early and they don't have any other rooms available. So they just give you this one. That's what happens. The yeah, benefits. you. For me, they give the, they're, they're just like, oh, you could just wait. You know, like we'll call you sometime <laughs> this evening when we when we remember. So anyway, this is not the uh, I will say this. Um, I decided that we would say uh, that this is an advertisement for uh, Marriott Bonvoy's Wi-Fi. Uh, if it is bad for Kim and I, that is also an advertisement. So far, it seems pretty good. So, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, but. Uh, for the show, we've got Travis Carter from USI Fiber. Welcome, Travis. Mr. Mitchell, how are you today? I'm doing good. I, uh, I thought about doing a uh, breakfast uh, uh, delivery of wings to your house yesterday morning, but then uh, chickened out. So, uh, But I did bike near Medicine Lake. Very beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you. it was early. I was probably still sleeping. And I'm, I guess I didn't read this FCC thing, but I'm finally excited. Gigabit by gigabit finally is coming Our, finally yeah. it only was it only was released in 1998 so or so it's about time that we have it across the country congratulations united states 
And uh, we'll break your heart when we come to that segment. What? <laughs> More chicken wings coming? Uh, Doug Dawson, uh, CCG Consulting, welcome. I just want everyone to know you missed the best two minutes ever. So, you know, the, the part that we lost. Yeah. Uh, as an advertisement for my Community Broadband Bits show, apparently I showered Doug with praise in my interview with Gigi Sohn last week. So if you haven't listened to Community Broadband Bits, Highly recommended because I apparently didn't say enough nice things about Travis. Uh, no, uh, two of us weren't even mentioned, Ryan and myself. So uh, I'm yeah. gonna have to go listen to it. Now. I know Doug, Lisa Doug, must have Lisa must have edited it out because I remember talking about how awesome you were. Oh so. no no, Doug was uh, <laughs> Doug was front and center on that episode. So the rest Kim was there, but the rest of us were omitted. We also have Kim McKinley, who is the star of all events that she goes to. Um, <laughs> she is the chief marketing officer and VP at Utopia Fiber and cannot walk three steps without people uh, stopping her in the hallways, apparently. What's going on for you in the show, Kim? I've, I've hugged a lot of people. And I mean, I, have, I was at my hug quota about 8.30 this morning, but it's good to see everyone. I think this is a great show. You're seeing a lot of new people in the industry and you're seeing a lot of people who've been here a long time, but there's some great discussions happening. So I'm, I'm really stoked to see how it all plays out for the next couple of days. Kim sees someone, the main reaction is a hug. I see someone and their main reaction is to look at my name tag and say, oh, Chris, you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> You're still in the industry, huh, Chris? Yeah. Well, plus she gets a sweet and you get the leftover. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, I put a little effort into my hair even. You'll notice this. I put a little product in it and, uh, and wow. I feel like, you know, no one recognizes me because I'm not as slobby as I normally am. So, <laughs> but I did get in. They didn't, they didn't. You they are didn't in. Huh? They, they didn't tell me they lost the registration. So I'm holding on to this so no one takes it. <laughs> All right. So. Um, we talked previously about uh, about uh, soon-to-be Commissioner Gomez, uh, Anna Gomez, I believe. Uh, and um, uh, my my um, understanding is, is that she'll probably get a floor vote in September to join the FCC, which will be, I think, my prediction being correct. Doug was thinking November, if I remember correctly. And so the FCC will have its 3-2 majority in uh, maybe a month. So... I feel like you just forgot what Travis's and my predictions were, which I don't remember either, but I'm sure they were better than yours of when this was going to happen, Chris. So, no, I think, Kim, I think you and I agreed that, that she was going to be seated and then nothing was really going to happen. Okay, so I went to, okay, I'm with, I'm good with this. But I think it's, it's, I, her being seated is going to be an interesting thing. And why did she get through so fast when Gigi was blocked so heavily? And that is the question that I have and why. And I don't Anyone else want to take a snap of that, Doug? Go ahead. Well, none of us know why, because she's likely to vote for all the same items. And so that's really a mystery when you think about it. So, so I will, I'll put two reasons up there. One is she doesn't have a history of, of fearlessly uh, working. Um, I mean, I, I shouldn't say it that way. Gigi specifically has, an, has a history of like working her butt off. And so even if they vote the same way, Gigi, I think, would have done far more in the public interest um, in order of pushing things forward. All, this, all the little things 
that that one can do with the power of a commissioner. Anna Gomez comes in with a lot of credibility of having worked in the public interest, not in the same way that Gigi has, but she's totally acceptable to all the big monopolies because she's worked for them. She's worked. She's part of the club in a way that I think Gigi is not um, a, a part of the club in that Gigi will rock the boat and Anna Gomez will not. I mean, I'm sure the big guys feel they know her. And so that to them, that makes her predictable. Doesn't mean she will be. Correct. Never, and I don't know, know her. Yeah. I don't know her at all. I'm just sort of trying to reflect what I've heard yeah. from other people that actually do know her in the, in the situation. I mean, the reason I predicted November was none of the cabinet positions and none of the higher level votables got through this quick. This is extraordinary fast for the Senate to pass it through this quick. So. It's amazing when the big monopolies are in favor of you, how quickly you yeah. can move. Boy, it did sail right through. So, well, she's not there yet, but that sound, it sounds like a done deal. So. Yeah. Um, here's one that I'm, um, I'm, I'm curious about. And another one that I think, you know, is not high on Travis's radar. So um, it's the uh, $75 ACP for high cost areas. And uh, good, Travis. Don't I, don't I get to comment on Gomez? Yes, yes please do. Okay, so let me ask what everyone's wondering. Is there something we're waiting for that we need another commissioner? Or I mean, there's a lot of things. Is there? I mean, anything like a lot of issues stuck on two two votes. Okay. Well, there's no, yeah, there's irrelevance and an interesting question, Travis. <laughs> because how relevant is the FCC? <laughs> well, no, I'm just I'm just wondering is there some reason that we need this person in there that's going to release a log jam that's going to improve people's lives well they're not they're not going to get a vote on changing the broadband speeds of that or i don't believe so that's why oh okay yeah. all right i like i like her gigabit for all here we go i mean i think one could argue that the nutrition labels might be better uh, i think we're, we, we can talk about that here um and um uh there's just there's a bunch of things that i don't know exactly um, why they're sold, but I assume that a fair number of them are because to get them passed requires, uh, you know, getting the approval of two people whose main focus is trying to punish Google and Facebook as opposed to actually doing anything productive. I mean, like, you know, Symington is, is on there just to, on Section 240 things because Trump wanted to try to punish the tech companies he didn't like. And I think that's the only thing he cares about. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a big commission watcher, but um, you have several people in the commission that don't care about any of this stuff. Uh, and so with Gomez, hopefully now we'll have three votes to at least move some things forward that are actually important rather than just being flashy. Um, and I, the last thing I would say is that for many people, the commission seems to be, uh, and this was one of the reasons I love Gigi was this is not the case. But for many people, the commission is a way to advertise that you would be good at a more important job. And that's what we're seeing uh, from a lot of the commissioners. And I think that's why we're not seeing much of these things moving forward. Will it improve? Are the maps going to improve or what? Overnight. overnight. Okay. All right. Well, that's I, I, you know, I, I don't have any faith that Gomez <clears throat> is going to help improve the maps I, because I don't think this is a matter of Democrats against Republicans. Um, yeah, Peggy's right. We're supposed to be nice to the FCC. They've gotten, you know, like we're seeing some, some real progress in a couple of areas maybe, but, um, but I just, like, like which which FCC commissioner has made it their mission to, to, to try to make sure that we had accurate maps that would be usable, uh, you know, and actually have interesting things like pricing data and things like that. I, I don't know. OK, well, 
Let's hope there's a really good your, your question is good, yeah. Travis. And I think if we had someone on from like um, one of the the DC centric public interest groups, they could tell us several things. I don't know. I'm half joking, but I'm half serious. Is there something yeah, it's a very in limbo that in limbo that we're waiting for? I don't know. I don't watch it either. Kim? No, I don't have an answer to, to, to Travis's question, but I do have a question of, do you think that some of the FCC members are not speaking up or making a big deal about the maps because they are waiting for the fifth commissioner and kind of holding their cards close? Or do you just think they'll never come out with an opinion and some criticism regarding it? I think they don't want to talk about the maps at all because they can only get negative comments. Right, Peggy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the maps need, like, I mean, we need to start over, more or less, from what I can tell. And and no one at the commission wants to admit that they've made a mistake, from what I can tell. I mean, this was, I mean, when I was coming out of college, it was the beginning of the the, the GW um, Bush administration, right? And, and like, one of the things that I remember clearly was this era in which um, George Bush could not admit that he made, he ever got anything wrong. And that is what every single FCC commissioner seems to be in, is that everything they've ever done is correct. Everything is going perfectly. And anyone else who, who is saying contrary is a whiner and, uh, and is not helpful to the cause. So they're drinking their own Kool-Aid, basically. Is, is, I, I, yeah, is happening? All, all four of them, yes. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. uh, also, way, I mean, also, we need to get back to your question on $75 ACP, though. That was the yeah, let's get back to that. In that, a was, second. that was a long answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like this is the thing. Like, I want to be nice to the FCC, but it's just FCC has been so bad. It's been bypassed in all in a lot of important ways. Um, and um, anyway, the $75 ACP. Uh, it looks like they mostly punted to NTIA, which I think might have been required in statute, more or less. I think um, it, was this question it, was, it was required in statute. They didn't have a choice. They just had right. to about it. Yeah. So there's a $30 FCAC affordable connectivity plan bonus available, uh, bonus um, discount available to qualifying families. It's $75 in tribal lands. And now it will also be $75 in uh, high cost areas that qualify. Uh, the FCC has basically moved the rulemaking forward so that um, uh, as they identify what that actually means, some ISPs that uh, are serving areas that are extremely high cost will get a larger discount for service, presumably because they may be having to offer higher uh, price services. Hmm. But we don't really know how they're going to do the high cost. But what happens is the ISPs have to file and ask for the extra money, and they have to plead their case. Every year. And by the time they get around to doing the first set of those, the funds will be out of money. That'll be interesting. So. It does look like that, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Okay, is so this we're an everlasting program? I'm just curious because when does it not qualify for high cost? And aren't we putting all this money into bead so we can reduce the cost of broadband and get more connectivity to people? I mean, it just seems a little counterintuitive to some degree that we're like, oh, we're spending all this money to connect people, but let's on the other side give more money to people um, for high cost broadband. And in a lot of those rural areas, it still sucks in those like um, high cost areas. So. It's an interesting uh, perspective. I'm, I'm noodling this one, Chris. I'm noodling this one. Well, the issue, I think, is, and I always use the example of, uh, you know, in the extremely depopulated or unpopulated West that never was populated in many areas, if it takes you three hours to reach a service call, 
and your tech can only average 1.5 calls per day, um, you know, you even if you have a network that has very low operating mm-hmm. costs, uh, you may still have a significant cost of doing business. So, um, you know, I think that's what the focus is. is so if your costs are that high to keep the network operating, at that point, um, if your price is going to be $100 a month for decent fiber, then uh, the idea being that a $30 discount isn't going to do a whole lot for, for low-income families. So I think that's the thinking. And uh, per usual, the implementation is the challenge. Um, so, and as Rai reminds me on the acp-board.com, every two weeks, our colleagues, uh, Christine, our colleague Christine in this case, updates it. And uh, right now we're forecasting there's less than 10 months of money left. And that is at the current rate of drawdown. Okay. Well, I have to agree with Peggy who popped up a comment here. I, I just don't see the tie-in between the ACP rate. I mean, if, you, if they want to give subsidy to these areas, this is a backdoor way to do it. So. Well, I, that's what I don't understand, Doug, right? Why don't they just give it directly? If they're going, are, are they still... Well, again, the, this was, Congress did this. This was written in law. So that right, this is explicitly not a portable subsidy program, right? Yeah, a portable yes. subsidy program gives a discount, gives a voucher to a person, and that person chooses who to give it to. This is a weird combination of different approaches that um, seems unwieldy. So well, somebody, yes, somebody right. snuck this in the federal language. It's, it's a mystery. Yeah, because it's like, can rural telcos raise their price to get that 75 subsidy? What if they only had a $65 price point and are they going to raise it up to 95 to get the entire 75? So it's, yeah, yes, it will. just doesn't seem that it to, would work. To, to answer that question, in LA, uh, before ACP, AT&T had a $10 product because they could get the $9.95 uh, from, the, from the lifeline. And as soon as ACP was passed, they raised their price to thirty dollars. So the answer is yes, they will raise the price to at least at least seventy five dollars. But I don't know if AC, I don't know if AT and T will qualify in any of these areas. And and I and I do think that the rural telcos may have different well, it approaches. The, it answers the question of whether they raise the rate to get some will. subsidy. Yes. Yeah, like so. some some companies are 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 trying to drink as much milk. Uh, from uh, the government teat as possible, absolutely. Uh, others are not, and so I would just I would I want to resist fle- uh, cynicism for ten seconds here. <laughs> In this case. Travis, how much extra are you going to get out of ACP? Oh, I'm I'm imagining zero, but it, it always goes back to the same. Travis, no, 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 you're missing an opportunity. You should declare all the people living on Park Streets on the streets controlled by the Park Board as extremely high cost because they are. If you have a twenty-five thousand dollar permit, like boom. Yeah, but do you know how much a uh, audit is from these guys? You know what that costs. So you know what I don't. I don't. I'm I'm staying away from this stuff. Um, but I, I I keep asking the same question of everyone. I don't know if we have a good answer. We always talk about low cost, affordable internet. What is that number? We're gonna we 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 have talked about it before. We talked about it with Angela um, Seifer from NDIA, but it's been yeah. two years, and we can talk about it again. That will be a future show. Okay, because it would be really nice to have a target. Yep, and there is no um, one. Yes. Maybe the FCC will decide that, huh? So one. More um, I don't know if you know the target is seventy five dollars in rural high cost areas. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the formula is ACP minus or at plus five dollars. <laughs> yes. Okay, no. all right, all right, there it is. All right, so affordable is considered thirty-five dollars or eighty dollars, right? <laughs> okay, or I got it. 
So we have, uh, we're gonna bring out Dr. Wack in a second. Before that, um, State Departments of Transportation. I, in this conference, someone already came up to me and they were like, Chris, um, you know, we have a situation where we're trying to do this interesting project in this rural area and, and the State Department of Transportation is requiring like an 80 cent per mile fee um, for maintenance um, costs uh, you know, on a yearly basis and that is killing our project. And I said, well, that reminds me of New York, where they got rid of that. And they had that, and it was killing projects, and they got rid of it. So um, they were like, that's awesome. Are there any other examples? And uh, I thought Doug would know. Well, it's interesting because about four months ago, um, the, the NTIA asked the states to all get rid of their barriers. They said a lot of you states have barriers that are going to make it impossible to do deed. I haven't read of anyone changing their rules in the last four months. And said a few, and many of them said, "Hell no, we're, we do it the way we do it," because departments of transportation are very hard-minded folks, and and you know those revenues are what pay their bill. I'm sure that they're probably not funded in Colorado by tax revenues; they're funded by those fees, so they're not about to cut them and lose their funding, right? So, so we get all these wacky ways that government agencies are funded. There are a ton of states where it's very difficult to get permits on state roads probably half of the states. And so, you know, that this is, the tax isn't the only thing that makes it hard. Some of them, it's just incredibly hard to get the permits in the first place. Right. So, you know, so there, there's a whole range of places where the state is a big holdup if you have to build along those roads. So, you know, well, that in, yeah. If they, if they did remove that fee, uh, do you think uh, Lumen would lower prices? Because they would probably save so much money oh, in Colorado. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. They would immediately lower all their prices because they're good corporate citizens. Yes. <laughs> Travis, any any reactions? Well, I mean, I don't know about Kim, but when we're looking at expanding, you know, obviously in our network, you either go north, south, east, or west. You go and interview those those towns, and the very first question you ask is, "Let's talk about your permitting fees." So there is a town north of you, Chris, that has very difficult and expensive permitting fees. So they are omitted from any future build. And I'm not going to sit and fight with them. Right. Or, or going down you know, state roads. We just go down a county road instead or go down a city road. So you have challenges with the state? Oh, I mean, that's a known uh, issue. Yeah. Well, I mean, just we can't go down the interstate, which would be really yeah. handy. But, um, you know, we're, we're and, so, and so the people that live along state roads, you don't serve them. You just bypass them. Yeah. And, and it's almost gotten to that point now where it's just a non-service area. And so when people call up and say, why, why are we not served? Well, here's the myriad of reasons that you're not served. And what do they all have in common? There is some government barrier in the way of allowing us to provide service. Governments never provide barriers. I have no idea what yeah. you're talking about, Travis, yeah, at all. I, I think, yeah, I think I think you have challenges with anyone, but I also think that we have a great relationship with the um, UDOT here in the, in Utah, or I'm not in Utah today, but if you have to have great relationships, and a lot of times it's always going to be a challenge, but you can't force the situation. I see people actually escalate some of the conflict and permitting processes because they just get nasty and they get angry, and then that just becomes like a personal, like well, emotional battle. Ruben's asking about why there are permitting fees. And I was curious if you can answer that. If I can answer that? I, I think I that's a Doug question. No, it, <laughs> that's a Doug question. I, prom I promise you it's part of the way that 
Department of Transportation and not state funds themselves. Oh yeah. Well, also, I mean, there's so there's additional things too. I mean, like depending on what kind of permit, there are different fees. Um, I mean, I, I've shared. Um, was it a year ago? Um, and let's bring in Dr. Wack because he has um, he's been he's seen this up close um, from Westminster. Um, I'll introduce you after we kill this topic, uh, so people just have to take our word for it that you know what's going on. But, um, but you know, like for um, in my neighborhood, uh, there was uh, someone that installed a conduit under the sidewalk, and then there the 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 fix for it was awful, and and so the state, the city or county um, has to send people out to make sure that it's uh, that they're inspecting it to make sure that it was uh, rebuilt correctly and that sidewalks aren't destroyed or cracked or anything like that. Um, you know, I think that there's uh, there's real costs of being in the right of way. And then there's the simple fact that this is a valuable piece of land and uh, the uh, local government is charged to manage that in a way that is uh, beneficial to the public. And so, um, you know, we have right of way permitting because um, it would be very difficult for private companies to negotiate with every individual landowner to put a pole or a conduit in their yard. So we abstract it away and local government is supposed to manage that on behalf of the public, which doesn't mean just giving it away for free. So there is a no, balance to be but, struck. But, but most places have a one-time fee to pay for that extra effort. It pays for right. the inspection, it pays for all those steps. So you may have a sizable, on a, especially on a state road, you might have a $500 for each application or something to pay for those people so they don't do it for free but they're supposed to, you know most states figure you do the cost about half the states it's are actually fairly easy to work with so they're not all difficult so. all right robert what's your what's your what are your thoughts on fees sure <clears throat> so you know, there's the 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 larger philosophical principle as to whether there should be a fee at all. And Chris, I think you just answered that question capably. Um, and then there's you know what the fee is supposed to be be doing. And certainly there are immediate costs with you know as you mentioned personnel inspections, um, short term disruptions. But then there's very real uh, follow on costs for. Um, remediation, often the work done to restore the right of way um, needs to be redone a lot of times. It definitely shortens the useful life of if it's a road, no matter what the utility does to restore it, you they've just knocked five, 10 years off of the useful life of that road surface. So it's gonna, there's going to be a downstream um, remediation cost there, but that's, you know, five, 10 years out. Um, and then there's sort of the, the larger, you know, carrying cost of all the other crap that's hard to quantify, but is real. Um, and then on top of that are the squeeze, <laughs> you know, with the shakedown, which is real, you know, and, and I've seen it um, from the municipal side and I fought against it with, especially with our project, um, so that's a real phenomenon, but it's unfortunately, it's a real phenomenon that's on top of very legitimate costs that the local government should and needs to recover. And so then the question is, is what's the structure and what are the amounts of those fees? And that's a reasonable discussion to have. And local governments, you know, they do their best, but, you know, they're, they often screw it up. And, and the shakedown and the squeeze is definitely a real thing. 
Kim, I, I, need, I need to ask a question. Um, can we really have um, Mr. Do Dr. Wack on the show since he has books in his background and none of us look like we're educated whatsoever? I mean, we might I usually be a little do. too smart for us. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Dr. Robert Wacko, just start calling Robert because it's too awkward. And uh, you know, uh, we've known each other well enough to, to get past that. Um, Indeed. You know, he is an author, and so uh, he gets to do whatever he wants, uh, having written <laughs> written a book. Um, and, and you're to, not. To, uh, to close off that section, though, uh, Ruben asks, you know, basically other places charging fees so high they needlessly prevent progress. Yes, they are. Uh, they are fewer than the than the monopoly industry claims and more than many of our allies want to admit. <laughs> They're somewhere in between. And we can do better and we should be doing better. So um, 80 cents with a that per year, 80 cents per foot per year has got a lot of a lot of uh, shakedown right there. I mean, that's that's a lot of money. Yes. So. Yep. Uh, so uh, Dr. Wack, Robert. Um, uh, we're going to talk about Westminster. Uh, we're not going to talk about uh, whether or not we have self-determination. Uh, if anyone uh, watching the show ever has a chance to to grab a beer with Robert and talk about whether or not we have true self-determination, I uh, highly recommend that experience. So uh, great philosophical discussion. Um, but um, hey, you have to say they have to buy him a beer if you're going to ask. Oh yeah, the, yeah. And, you can't. And, and it doesn't. That service doesn't come free. It's not going to be just one. Isn't this is not a 45 minute discussion. Uh, so, um, Westminster, uh, you're, you're northwest of Baltimore. You're in a conservative uh, part of Carroll County there. Um, well, I mean, Carroll County is conservative, Westminster. You're, um, you had a very innovative uh, public-private partnership in which the city uh, owns the fiber uh, and then uh, hands off to uh, Ting, who then completed it. The network is fully built out for several years now. And uh, you wrote an article for Broadband Communities talking about uh, what the progress that you've seen and all that. Do you want to give us the, the top line of that? Because I think we want to get into some questions around um, a little bit deeper uh, after that. Sure. Um, so we, all the things you said, yes. Um, we, we financed the project with general revenue bonds. And our goal for the financial performance of the network was always to cover the debt service on those general obligation bonds. Um, and uh, we were very cautiously um, projecting that that was going to take somewhere between seven, 10 years to do with a very gradual ramping of the take rate. And it's been about five years now, and we're, we're closing in on doing that probably uh, by the end of this year. Um, you would have thought with the, the notice that you gave me for this, I would have checked the numbers <laughs> recently, but I didn't. Uh, so the last time I looked was when I wrote that article, which was back in the spring. And um, it looked like by the end of this year, we were going to cover debt service in terms of total revenue from the, from the project. Um, but we still have the operating costs, which, you know, we knew were going to be an issue. And so the um, city budget still subsidizes the operating costs, which aren't crazy. You know, it's, it's, it's just the um, spot repairs and doing drops and, um, you know, the occasional uh, fiber cut from, you know, a backhoe or a shovel or something. Um, but it's not, you know, we don't, we don't have the network operations piece of it. So we don't have to worry about that. Um, so that, yeah, that's kind of like the, the quick and dirty of where we're at and, and the, the success that I talked about in that article. 
Who do you have, like 15, 20,000 people? I'm trying to remember. Uh, in the, the population of the city is 18,000. It's a, about 6,100 um, serviceable addresses. Um, and then you in the greater Westminster. I'm sorry. sorry? No, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, and in the greater Westminster area, it's about 38,000 and another probably about 8,000 serviceable addresses, but we don't reach them yet. That's that's our next goal. And so Comcast has uh, service there and had and uh, does a decent job, but wasn't anything that was really helping to spur economic development or leading to next generation type stuff. Um, just give us a sense of, you know, you're, you're not a, a blind booster to this project. You're someone who thinks critically about it. Um, what what has happened that has made in your mind that has made this project worth doing? Well, it's what didn't happen. It wasn't happening. So uh, yes, Comcast was and, and Verizon. You know, we had Verizon DSL out here. We don't have FiOS, and we'll never have FiOS. Um, uh, the Comcast was our incumbent cable provider, and they, you know, it was okay. You know, twenty five five, um, but um, they. From So I was on the Cable Commission leading up to this experience and just the fighting with them on the Cable Commission on dumb little things like extending service out to, you know, a rural area that, that you know, just barely met the density criteria. And they'd fight us tooth and nail for, you know, 10 houses and, and it, it would take a year and, and we'd beat each other over the head with lawyers and uh, the other piece was <clears throat> in 2000, they um, agreed to do two strands of an institutional network, an INET, that touched all of the city halls and um, some of our local government um, facilities. But then they wouldn't let us use it you know, because they, they put so many restrictions on the use of this that it became impossible to, to light and use for any benefit. So the whole experience of negotiating with them and just dealing with them was so unpleasant and so unproductive that when um, 2008, 2009 came along and VTOP and all that, we realized, you know, maybe there's another way. And that's what we didn't get any of that money, <laughs> which is why we had to put the bonds out. But, but, but that's what got the ball rolling. Um, Actually, the ball started rolling even earlier than that. We, we built a um, middle mile network in the county, um, again, because Comcast was so um, obdurate. You know, they just weren't going to budge on some of these things. So the county mm -hmm. went ahead and put together these anchor institutions and did a really robust middle mile all through our county. And, and then that was interconnected to the outside world with the BTOP money. And then that set the stage for Westminster one last thing I want to set the stage with, and then I'll see if anyone else has questions. But uh, we, uh, when we were originally discussing it, Travis had done his own research on uh, some of it. And when we were talking about the benefits uh, and sweating in your article, he brought up that, that um, unmentioned, at least as I recall, was the significant uh, property tax increase, I believe it was, or, or tax increase prior to moving forward with the network. Uh, and, and that's something that you and I had talked about before. So I was just curious if you can walk us through what I'm, role that or connection that sure. has. So I'm pretty sure that that is mentioned in the article because it was a necessary uh, 
predicate to, to be able to, to, do, to do this, but it wasn't done because for the fiber network, it was done because our fiscal house was in shambles. It, we, we, the uh, 2008, 2009 fiscal crisis blew a $3 million hole in our, our budget. Um, we lost 1.5 million in um, annual police funding and we lost 1.5 million in road funding from the state of Maryland because of their financial problems. So overnight, boom, $3 million gone. And it had been clear to us, even in earlier budget years, you know, 2000, not too long after I got on the council, which was 2003, it became clear, like, we don't take in enough money for all the crap that we buy. And what we kept kicking the can down the road, as most local governments do, by borrowing and you know stealing from reserves and uh you know we were able to do that until that crisis and then bam it was all gone and we had to raise taxes but we raised taxes just to bring us back to sort of baseline um, where we could do the the annual capital projects we had to do the road road stuff repairs to the to buildings the, the other public works stuff um, so yeah, we did a big tax increase and, but that big tax increase, all it did was then get us back to even so that then we could contemplate other projects. Um, we already had some debt for other capital projects. So our bonding capacity was sort of constrained given our other financial challenges. Once we raised those taxes, we, we then had enough revenue to, to sort of take care of all that other stuff, which then, you know, effectively increased our bonding capacity. So we took the bonds on, you know, developed this business plan of making this thing self-sustaining over the long term, and it worked. So, so yeah, we raised taxes, but we didn't raise taxes for the fiber. And we haven't raised taxes since then to cover any expenses of the project. The project is on its way as we expected to paying for itself. It still takes a subsidy from the general fund, but that's gonna go away. Now you really raised taxes, a big tax rate, because for years and years you didn't do the little ones. Yeah. You, sh you should have been doing little property tax increases all along. So, yeah. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not familiar have, with that idea. We only get big property tax increases right <laughs> Oh, I, I live I live in a big every once in a while they hit you with a hammer. Yes, I believe. No, we're yeah. at eight or ten percent every year, I think, right now. It's wow. been it's been a hard slog. Go ahead. Wow. Travis, you unmuted too. Oh no, I, I was I was just uh, I was just curious how it was re the public reacted to it. Because I the read the what I, what I read was thirty-three percent. Yep. That's that probably exactly didn't, right. It probably didn't go over very well. No. So so this is a really important lesson, one that I I I go on and on about. <laughs> For, for my fellow elected officials about political courage and staying the course is at the time you would have thought we wanted to sacrifice babies on an altar with stone knives. You, you would have thought that we were going to open the gates of hell and release Zool and, and was going to lay waste to the city of Westminster. It was the apocalypse that these crazy liberals on the city of Westminster City council, we're going to raise property taxes 33%. And remember, this is at the height of the Tea Party craziness. So this is 2011, uh, 2010. We did it 2010, effective 2011. 
And they came after us hammer and tongs and, and, you know, waving their copies of the Constitution and all that. And in the 2011 election, I only got back in by 11 votes and two of my colleagues got picked off because of this. And none of the dire predictions, none of the economic apocalypse, none of it came true. Property values kept going up. Um, you know, businesses kept coming in. People kept wanting to move to Westminster. It didn't have any negative effects on anything. And it had a lot of positive effects because now we're paving our roads again. We're fixing our parks again. And now we have a fiber network because we got our, our house in order. Um, yeah, but not to, not to mention the extra tourism for people coming to see Seoul. I mean, I'm coming now. So. <laughs> <laughs> We kept Zool at bay. <laughs> Kim, any thoughts on Zool? <laughs> okay, well, Chris, we're just going to ignore that. Um, let's move on to um, uh, that. I was going to ask you, Robert, what do you think when you're going through this process in your head, what do you think was where you floundered the most, where you kind of were a little hesitant of doing this decision? Because I think that's a useful answer for the people who are in this pro this this process because it's harder than people really make it out to be no it's or it's it's it's, it's they easier than it they, they make it out to be easier than it is yeah no it's definitely hard and um uh it, it's it, it i wish there was some nice clean thing like if you do this then you're gonna be fine it's there's so many like looking back it's it's a little scary how much luck we had that, that we were able to pull this off. Um, luck in the sense of the composition of the council and, and the, the fact that we were able to maintain the political will through those first, those critical first couple of years. Um, luck in that nothing else bad happened, you know, after 2008, you know, we, we had this period of relative stability and prosperity. Um, Luck in the sense that, um, you know, during construction, you know, we've got a ton of rock out here and half of, you know, about half of the of the backbone was is underground. And if if that had been worse, it could have really bumped the costs, the construction costs way up. We ended up bringing it in considerably under budget. Um, luck in that we didn't screw up. <laughs> the the management of the construction this is something that the city had never done before um and our public works guys had a lot of angst about pulling this off and we're actually pretty resistant early on but they they eventually got on board and they saw that this is doable and it's a cool new skill that they were all learning and so but but you know there's there's luck there um so what, what would what i've done differently um I think luck also, you got a great well, While you're doing that, have you quantified the benefits? I mean, obviously you saved money we, on not having, now you have your own private network, I assume. Yeah. So we, we thought about it. We talked about it. We, we made some half-hearted attempts to uh, gather some baseline data. Um, but, but, but as we were looking, you know, at those kinds of efforts and the metrics that people were using, it became clear that, there wasn't anything out there, a methodology that was 
so ironclad that it was worth making the investment because we were gonna have to pay a consultant. We didn't we didn't have the expertise to do this. And we were spending so much money on other crap <laughs> that frankly, everybody was just like, you know what? We're gonna just we're gonna keep our fingers crossed and hope that it, it works out for the best. Um, lots of anecdotes I can give you, um, but but you know, in terms of rock solid data that an economist would say, yes, this is clearly a fifteen percent improvement. You know, I don't know, but I can tell you that property values are up, and and um, that we have weathered all of the other little dips and stuff in the, in it, that have happened in the be in between time and covid was a huge validation um we we sailed through covid as a city um just i mean people just were astonished at how well the network did and how well people were able to adapt right away to all the remote stuff um and businesses generally are love it they they um are very, very happy. And lots of anecdotes about, you know, we added 10 employees or we, you know, we now do business internationally and blah, blah, blah. But again, hard to quantify enough that, that, you know, you could really make a straight faced argument with data. Travis? I, I got to ask, cause everyone wants to know, did you do a feasibility study? Oh yeah. <laughs> so we did, and and actually, really, oh, see, I was hoping you didn't. Okay, all right. No, all right. no, we did. We we went through the whole consultant rigmarole, but we actually ended up having really good consultants, and you know maybe that was luck too, but um, the the planning the effort that we went through was pretty exhaustive, and we spent some money, nothing crazy, but we definitely spent some money. Um, but it did two things. One, it um, certainly set expectations in the community about why we were doing this and, and the, the public discussion, which, frankly, I was a little skeptical of. You know, they're like, do we really need to do this? Do we really need to have focus groups you know, and all that stuff? But in retrospect, I think it really did help because we did get some political blowback at some point. But because we had done these surveys and because we've done these focus groups, we had data that said, you know what, the voters want this, you know, especially our business community. The business community was, you know, we had, I don't know, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but, you know, maybe 150 respondents to this survey we sent out to local businesses. And, and the, the positive response to, you know, do you want better broadband? It was like 98%. They two up business were totally dissatisfied with what they were getting from the incumbent at the time, even paying for the premium business service. And the, the mm -hmm. money quote or the money anecdote for that was a business that did a lot of graphic design work and would have these multi gigabit files that they'd have to move back and forth to clients. And they had a client out in Chicago that they were on a close tight deadline with. They needed to get a five gig file out there. And they couldn't because their premium business class connection kept timing out. And so finally, they put it on a little memory stick and FedExed it out there. And the guy's like, why am I paying for this crap if I'm still FedExing memory sticks? And that's all gone now with, with the service that we have now. So, you know, but anecdotes. Hmm. Uh, so, Travis, were you going to follow up? No, I, I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the plight now because as I'm, I'm looking to purchase another home, my number one question is, tell me about the internet. And, and if, it does, if there's no fiber there, I'm not moving there. So 
Yep. You know, and, so, I, and, I, and I imagine a lot of your young people that are from that community, they'd be hightailing it to Baltimore or wherever to get out of town, you know, because who, who wants suboptimal internet anymore? If you're over the age of 60, maybe you do, but right. everybody else. That's why, I always, that's why I'm half joke about the feasibility study. I, I can't imagine you find more than two people that don't want it in your whole community. Yeah. But the feasibility study is about educating the the, the, uh, the elected leaders as well yep. and, and, and actually just getting particularized numbers, which people will take more attention to. I mean, I think about this a fair amount. Like just some of it's just psychological. Like I do broadband 101 webinars frequently and having me do a broadband 101 webinar that is identical to 10 other ones. Um, people would rather have me do that than watch a video of me having done the last one. Uh, for whatever reason, like it's just there's there's something about us that you're so you're so charismatic. Of course, yeah, right. <laughs> if I was so charismatic, why is it that it's it's literally like one day after I visit, I almost visit your house on my bicycle, you decide you're gonna move? Well, because you, I, I didn't know you know where I lived, you know. So <laughs> is you know is is the data public about your market share or not? About our market share? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, now it is. I put it in Broadband Community Magazine. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, which clearly I, Travis read. Clearly Travis read that. <laughs> I, I was stuck at 33% tax until I heard this conversation. So, so no, I mean, you, you got to be crushing it. We're doing pretty well. And I know, and I've heard anecdotally that Comcast market share in the city of Westminster is decreasing. So, you know. Okay. We're doing something right. Um, so, along the lines with the real estate thing, there are some other anecdotes where the realtors are now finally, because it took a, a while to, to educate them, are now specifically talking about this, about, oh, this property in Westminster is connected to the Westminster Fiber Network, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and people are very interested in that. And, and it, it's now a marketing differentiator. And we heard one story of a guy that was in Westminster, moved outside the city, and realized how crappy the, the you know the difference in the service was and moved back and he goes around telling people like holy what a mistake that was <laughs> outside the city so, so before we lose you i i do want to ask you about uh telehealth because uh you partook in a remarkable study with uh lisa hogan uh mm -hmm. frederick memorial and i'm curious if you can outline that in a minute or two with the, the top line numbers Oh, you're killing me. I don't have those on my top of my head. Well, okay. um, but I'll tell you, there's just the concept. Uh, it's uh, it is a variety of telehealth called remote patient monitoring. And we we created or Lisa created this program um, to do use remote patient monitoring for uh, a certain class of patients who were what we call the frequent flyers. You know, they're in and out of the emergency room a lot or they had a lot of um, chronic disease comorbidities. And um, used uh, basically uh, remote data collection and frequent nurse communication to do um, more intensive case management. And it's saved the health system millions of dollars um, of a fairly small group of patients, you know, 300, 400 patients by keeping them out of the ER and by decreasing their number of their readmissions um, made a huge difference in their, their, uh, healthcare consumption and kept them healthier and kept them home. Um, but, and the interesting thing from a broadband perspective is the technologies used were very low bandwidth. They, they didn't require a lot, but some of the people lived in areas of our community that 
that's all they had anyway. So, um, but it, it's sort of, it, it's just a little example of what's possible when people are connected well and it's used effectively for managing healthcare problems. Um, and, and if I could just highlight a couple of things that, that then we built on for a report that Rye did that we released a few months ago. Um, the, uh, you said savings of millions of dollars. I think that was on costs of like a few hundred thousand dollars. So, oh, know, yeah, yeah. Huge savings. return. Yeah. Um, but the important, one of the important things is it wasn't just throwing a tablet at people. Um, it was recognizing that having that technology allowed for a different delivery of care, which wasn't wait until the patient has a problem and then check in on them. My dad had a significant surgery and they sent him home with a staple removal kit. And we're basically like, we'll check in on you in like a month. And like his back had been like totally cut open so they could work on his spine. And we we're like, really? Like you're not even gonna call him in a week to see how he's doing? Like what? Yeah. And but like, and so like this is one of the things is that like we're finding as this study is now what three, four years old, and we've been trying to work with Connect Humanity to find other places where we could bring in philanthropic dollars, replicate it, demonstrate it. And frankly, one of the things that we see with a resistance in the healthcare field is they're sort of like, we don't want our nurse to be checking in on a patient every day. Uh, we want to do the old model that we're used to and, and, a, and a resistance to change, it seems like. Well, there's a very compelling reason for that. And it's about the, the compensation model, you know. And, and so Maryland, this, this kind of shift to this model where you're pushing resources deep into the community, it makes sense because in Maryland, we have this very centralized um, uh, fixed costs approach to um, healthcare, And in other states where it's still fee for service, you know, it's, there's no incentive to do this because they kind of want you to come back to the ER and they want you to come back and be admitted to the hospital because more billable procedures, everybody gets paid. Um, and Maryland has moved beyond that. Maryland is now back to kind of come full circle to the HMO model where it's instead of capitation, it's just the whole health system gets a lump and then you've got to manage to that number but you're also held accountable, unlike before in the HMO days, you're held accountable for quality of care and patient satisfaction. And they've developed very sophisticated metrics to measure all that stuff. And it's brutal, but, the, but it's working. It's, it's reducing costs, quality's still good, you know. So that's why this model makes sense in Maryland, um, but it wouldn't make sense in the areas where you're still fee for service. They're like, yeah, whatever, just come on back. We'll bill you some more. <laughs> any other any other comments before we we jump back to the FCC um, from anyone? Congratulations, no, congratulations. Yes, Thank you. Absolutely. I want to hear all about the symmetric gigabit now. So. Yeah, I'm still stuck on eleven votes. Yeah, Boy, that was tight, wasn't it? Indeed, <laughs> it was a political near death experience. Well. Yeah, thank you for coming in and hanging out with us. Sure. Yeah, and I and, I, and I'll note that like you know I think if every city had a doctor whack, uh, we'd see a lot more of these networks, right? And one of the things about feasibility study is not that they had an amazing feasibility study; it's that they had a person who stuck with it, and probably other people too. I'm sure you share credit. Uh, Robert. Um, so, um, you know, it's just, it's worth noting that, you know, the, the quality of people you put into running your community uh, matters. matters. And so, yeah, um, matters. Yep. 
unlike at the FCC where nothing matters. Um, and you know, and I want to I want to come back to this. Um, and and I say that again, like like Travis, I agree with him. Like I do think there's an extent to which these institutions are both important, but also we can get by without them. And at a certain point, things may run off the rails, but that doesn't happen right away. <laughs> so um, the FCC is uh, looking like it is going to uh, go to uh, 100 by 20 megabit per second definition for broadband, what? Uh, which um, Travis, um, this is what I predicted. Um, and basically the FCC says that in the year 2023 heading into 2024 perhaps it'll be 2024 when this definition comes into place that a speed that um you know the cable companies can do everywhere is the definition of broadband because that's convenient uh you know and uh it is a heck of a lot better than 25.3 it is not uh forward looking um but i'm curious about the reaction doug you wrote a post about it and you said the exact same thing that i said in my frustration it's not even currently 75% of all homes in the U.S. already subscribe to speeds of at least 300 megabits. So it's not even looking at the actual market that we're in. I mean, so that, that's a crazy definition. It's, it, there's only something now like under 20% of people who, have, who are subscribing to speed bets. Well, so, you know, it's not even looking at what people are buying today. Isn't, isn't the definition of broadband what people are buying? Well, it's what they're actually receiving. Well, no, yeah, but what they're receiving too, right? I mean, it, we can say anything. Yeah. I mean, until you measure it in which what people are actually receiving, it doesn't matter what the definition of broadband is. It's the definition of marketing. And I think that is a different conversation. But is anybody even happy about this? I think people are happy. And I think people should still be irritated that we haven't gone further. We just can't keep doing this, guys. At the Utopia Network, we have more than half of... Uh, every new subscriber signs up for gig when the lowest option is 250 symmetrical. The the market has changed and we right. need to, to be in times with it. Yeah, it's, it's I'm very passionate about this topic. <laughs> yes, very, very out of touch with the real life. Yeah. What was it again? It's 100 by 20? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, we don't we know why that is. That's 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 pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah it's the cable. It's the cable upload. Oh, not even cable. That's driven by the cellular industry right there. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, and Doug, you can disagree and, 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 and Robert, you might too, but I don't think that um, the, the mobile wireless folks um, care about the definition of broadband for a fixed service. And I don't think the FCC cares about the WISPs uh, position for fixed wireless, frankly. Well, I wish they did, but I don't think they do. Except that AT&T has said they're probably going to go after a bunch of deep funding, so they do care. Yeah. So I don't think the cellular companies care, but the cable companies care that the, the because it takes the pressure off them. So if they define it in such a way that, oh, because people have all these cellular services, they're they're good, then it then it removes the impetus for projects like ours. And anything that does that, that's really, I think, taking the pressure off of um, or undermining the argument for doing any sort of public investments is, is that's the key. That's the goal. Yeah, you have to remember this is a political number. Every time they raise the number, they're saying this many more houses don't have broadband. So if they even made it 100 by 100, they would be declaring you know, 80 million homes to not have broadband. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, that's the problem. 
that's a political number. It has nothing to do with what people want to buy. So. This week's show um, uh, of Community Broadband Bits uh, is John Chambers. Uh, I don't know if um, Rise posted it already or not, but it'll be out today, likely. Um, and we talk about uh, a little bit about this toward the end, um, because Charter has told California that it cannot deliver 20 megabits upload to everyone, uh, which is an interesting, you know, sort of as they were, because California was arguing it was trying to set out a more aggressive definition at one point. And so um, uh, Ernesto Falcone with EFF had been talking about what comments that, you know, that the charter was making to uh, the Public Utilities Commission and others. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I, but I think this, you know, it, it comes down to a difficult situation, which is that do I think that it would be appropriate for the FCC to declare that a bunch of cable companies that are more or less meeting most people's needs on the upstream, um, that, that it is not broadband anymore? I think then we're arguing about, you know, what is broadband, uh, you know, because I think 20 megabits per second upload, you know, it, it sucks when I'm trying to transfer a big file, but for a majority of things I do, it actually works out okay. Um, you know, and I think at a certain point, it's this question of, are we going to argue about speeds and all of the problems that come into that and how variable they are? Or are we going to focus on having technology that meets our needs? And, and that's muddy in a different way. Uh, we already answered that question because he already gave us the answer in that businesses, it's not adequate for. That's not at all an adequate speed for businesses because they don't make one Zoom connection. They make six of them. You can't do that on 20 megabits. So the fact is, it's, and, and they have all their software in the cloud on a, a BOIP, you name it, right? 20 megabits is nowhere close to adequate, even for some small businesses. So, and so, and, you know, are you are we going to leave the business community behind with the crappy definition? So, and and even for residential <laughs> residential customers, if you've There's got plenty. one person at home working or or doing anything, it it breaks down fast, you know. And, and let's talk to any household with teenage gamers, and you tell me right. that's Exactly. <laughs> Travis. Well, I mean, other than the obvious, which is the FCC definition wins me chicken wings every single year. What else do we really care what they call that broadband? Yeah, I mean, so it sends a signal to all of the states and, and people who are not sophisticated are supposed to say, I don't know much about this, but I can rely on the definition of the expert agency from the government to basically make sure that you know we have the relevant things for our applications, for um, for uh, for setting up a grant program. If they're trying to understand, do they actually have a problem? Go ahead, Kim. When did we ever think that any governmental program was the example for um, what did you say, excellency or? Um, exp but I mean, that's um, the thing. I mean. I we do. I mean, like, you know, environmental like, protection agency develops standards for like what constitutes like, you know, healthy air and like uh, healthy water and whatnot. And, and there's arguments about it. And industry has a point of view and people that want things to be you know, still more clean have a point of view. And we try to get a sense of when there's impurities and pollutants, what is the impact and what does that cost and things like that? So, like, I mean, I. You know, I am deeply frustrated with the level of corruption that we have in government. And by that, I sort of mean the, the full style of corruption, not like paper bags of money, but just the fact that industry has so much control over some of these things. But like, I'm not willing to to I mean, as long as I'm working in this job for this low salary, like, you know, I could be working for Travis for a lot more money, I assume, um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Travis, he, he knows what you're willing to, to take. Room. He knows what you're willing to take. <laughs> 
But I like I think the thing is, if we've all been waiting and people have been waiting for years to wait for this number to come out, we wouldn't be where we are today. And I think that's like I great that you have a subpar standard, but it doesn't mean for people who are actually trying to implement change at all. And actually, there's one place that it does, Kim, and that there are people who are going to get grant money to build a network that can do that speed. And that's a travesty. That is a fair that, point. That is a fair point, Doug. That's that's where it really, most people are just royally screwed. I mean, the, that's too the, bad. Uh, the other thing about this that I will say is that, like, you know, um, I have said that I thought 120 was a reasonable compromise before. Um, you know, I think that was more like 2020, 2021 when I was saying that. Um, I think that you're all persuasive uh, about uh, about that not being an appropriate standard today. Uh, Harold Feld, um, with whom I've had a lot of discussions, he works for Public Knowledge. He's been someone who, uh, you know, has... Uh, really been on the side of the public interest unwaveringly in a very thoughtful way for decades. And, and one of his rules is, is that when a policymaker, you know, moves in your direction, you say thank you. And you don't sit there and say, you didn't come far enough and you're still a bastard and all this other stuff. And so, Robert, I'm curious how you react to that in that, you know, I feel like a lot of us are sort of like, it's not enough and, and we still don't like you and this and that versus saying, uh, you know what, like this is a much better standard. I'm glad that we're here. Um, I wish that we could go further. Yeah, so the the uh, I have many minds about this. Um, on the one hand, I'm all about half a loaf or a quarter of a loaf. I'll take whatever I can get. Um, on the other hand, uh, thin-skinned elected officials who need to be flattered and fluffed and handheld and stroked constantly just irritate the crap out of me and are very frustrating to deal with um, on, on both sides, you know, now in my current job and, and before as an elected official, when you were working with elected officials in other jurisdictions and some of that crap, I mean, Jesus, you know, anyway. Um, so, but yes, generally I think Harold is correct. And I agree with him that, you know, you, you take what you can get, you just keep moving it forward bit by bit. And, you know, there are no, no permanent friends, no permanent enemy, enemies, only permanent interests. Um, and that is a, I think, Mickey Leland quote. Um, but anyway, or maybe it's somebody else, Harry Truman. I don't know. But, um, yeah, you, 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 you take what you can get and just keep pushing. You're so optimistic, Robert. You're so optimistic about, like, the world. That was, like, just a motivational speech in a reply. So I appreciate that. Well, you know, Kim, that, that, with a quote. That leads into what I was thinking. Does anyone else want to move to Westminster now? Jeez. <laughs> Sounds like quite a place. Uh, What's the pierogi scene there? You, you're close enough to get some good cheesesteaks, I think. Well, We've, but also, you know, those of us that are building fiber networks, let's be care careful what we wish for. Let's just say that the FCC came out with gig by gig and they started giving money to everybody to over. We'd be much less competitive than we are today. So, uh, you know, Careful how low you, you you shoot, you might hit. The FCC is going to hit it this time, which is great. So we won't, what, deal with this now for 10 more years? No, it'll probably be another seven or eight till they look at it again. I mean, you make, a good, you make yeah. a good point in that this keeps cable companies crappy. Which I, is, yeah, I, I love it. That doesn't I mean, sound like a good idea to me. Well, go ahead, Robert, and then I have a thought too. No, no, no. I just, I, I, I finally saw where you were going with that that line of reasoning, and I think you're right. <laughs> You know, I mean, I would say that if, 
Here's my problem. Win the election, uh, if Republicans win the election, the speed definition will not be revisited until Democrats win again, I suspect. If Democrats win the election, the speed the, the speed will be increased when DOCSIS 4 has been substantially rolled out. Um, at the point at which cable companies can meet that need, that speed, then the definition will be increased. And so the definition will continue to be a trailing indicator of decent service would be my expectation, given the makeup of the FCC. And here's my problem with that. Comcast said they can do a mid-level split to get people up to 200 megabit upload for $100 a customer. Charter said it would take them 200. So let's call it 150, somewhere in between the two of them. That's not a lot of money to spend on a customer who gives you $100 a month, is it, Travis? So, I mean, the fact is they could have faster speeds today. 100 by 100 is absolutely something they could achieve a year from now. So that's not a big investment. And they say it's easy. Now, maybe they're lying about that, but they keep bragging about how easy it would be for them to do that mid-level split. And so by keeping the definition low, they're not going to increase it very quickly. So. And, 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 they'll, and they'll only increase it in competitive markets. Well, well, and all the fiber overbuilders are, you know, they're all 10 gig capable now. So yes, let, yes. Let, let the cable companies deal in megabits. We'll, we'll oh, deal so you're, right. you're right. You're, it's a trailing indicator, but it just keeps taking cable companies off the hook to do their job. So. Yeah. Okay. This was a great conversation. There's one other one that I wanted to try and sneak in under the wire. Robert, if you have to leave, go ahead, but I'd love to have you stick around. And that's the Buy America. Um, and, and, and Doug, I, so I, this morning I got to sit at a table with some folks from Nokia. Last week, they announced mm -hmm. that they're manufacturing OLTs, ONTs, and um, the, uh, the optics, I believe, um, mm -hmm. here, um, um, well, in the United States, as well as one other piece. Um, and a uh, pretty big announcement, uh, I think, um, also makes it far less likely that there will be a waiver in a way that I think some of the other vendors were expecting. Um, but I was just interested, and I think maybe we could talk about this more in the future, um, about what the like how how one can go from G pond to XGS pond to now a, a 25 gigabit um, uh, optic on the XGS pond uh, by and how that how that works. I, I was pretty interesting. I learned a lot about it this morning. Well, I think the Buy America thing is working. There's also been there's something like 20 new fiber related factories, including several who actually make fiber cable. I mean, it's driving people to bring factories here. And we've needed that for the last 20 years. So I think it's absolutely fabulous. I think it's good that they'll do the waiver. The interesting thing about it, this is my little twist on it, is guess who buys Nokia gear? The big, the big ones. Guys. Yeah, no, no, that's exactly what I was thinking. So they're not going to. So, so now I, if they, I'm if they keep Adtran and Calix, I hope, well, I, hope, I hope they keep the waiver for the other companies. Or I hope they waive it for the other companies. Otherwise, this is another way to give all the grants to the big companies. Yeah, I was, I was, that's what, that's one of the things I was wondering about is whether, yeah. is, so Nokia, it took time for them to make this happen. And if Calix and Adtran were just hoping on a waiver and they don't have plans, that's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But Nokia has a giant market here because they sell to the big guys. They, that's who buys the vast majority of the equipment. Right. Calix doesn't make enough gear to justify that size of an investment here. I mean, that's the reality of the marketplace. So um, it could turn out that that's a good thing. It could turn out that that's another way to give all the money to the big guys. <laughs>
Doug, you are correct. The, the small guys won't be running it. It's too expensive. Right. Now, the, the stuff that you're running is any of that? I mean, I don't. You don't well, get well, it. Well, we're active. Same so, so is Kim, but our XGS platform is um, Cambium. You know, there. So here's the thing with with you know with Ethernet, it's a unified standard. Now, my understanding with XGS Pond, it's now a unified standard as well. So you 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 can mix and match companies. So you might buy America, yeah, they might buy the um, you know the OLT from somebody, but all the all the ONTs are going to be Chinese or Taiwanese product. You just can't afford to do it otherwise. It's just too expensive. Um. So. The other, the other piece of that is I, I do think that several, whether it was a year ago, two years ago, we were talking about this. Doug and I, I remember both were saying we supported the idea of this, um, but we weren't sure how effective it would be. Uh, you know, to me, it looks like a lot of these provisions are having the goal, hitting the goal of, of bringing, of onshoring this uh, production. However, it's running the costs up. And I think we're getting back to that question that Travis asks, because you know, at this point now, you might have to pay more for this equipment. Um, we have, as we talked about, you know, significant permitting costs and challenges still. And then at the end of it, you still have to pay 20% tax on all of the, on, if you're a for-profit company or if you're in certain partnerships with cooperatives on the award. And, and you have all these extra labor standards and whatnot. And um, I, I can't believe that they haven't resolved some of this. It's remarkable. Go ahead, Travis. I know. Can we ask Dr. Wack the, the question? What percentage of the bead dollars will go to the incumbents? Your estimate. I'm at 99. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited for this answer. What, is it? what do you think, Dodger? <laughs> Bill Mitchell, he actually said in one of those podcasts he was in the 90s. So I'm just oh, curious. I missed that. I mean, it's, it's, it's not – the incumbents always win. So, you know, yeah. if Chris said 90%, I think that's probably likely. But I, I don't really have any special insight into that other than cynicism. I'm <laughs> like, still in the 80s only because there's some states who are going to work very hard not to give it to the incumbents. Which one? Well, there's, there's quite a few states who don't want to do that if they don't have to. So. But I think from what I'm hearing, a lot of them don't want to do that, but they don't know if they have any they, option. They may not have old. a choice. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long show. Um, uh, Robert, thank you so much for, for joining us. Yeah. Thank thank you guys. Uh, Doug and Travis, nice to meet you. Kim, it was great yes. seeing you again. I wish I was in Denver. I, we were just out there a couple of weeks ago for another conference, um, a health thing, and it, I love that city. So it's have a good time. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited. Oh gosh, no, not again. <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks for having me. I'm I'm glad we could we could pull this together. Um, I'm I'm sorry to be missing some of this uh, this wonderful show here, but uh, we really wanted to talk about some of the stuff that's going on with the FCC and whatnot. So um, whether it is uh, in a week, two weeks, or three weeks, we'll be back at some point uh, with another episode of. Connect this.